On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we share what we are most excited about for the upcoming 2021 year in soccer. Look ahead to the sprint of games for the U.S. teams in international play. Plus, we sit down for an exclusive interview with New England Revolution defender Tejon Buchanan. Hello and welcome to the Nest and Soccer Podcast and Happy New Year. It is 2021. I'm joined by Marcus Omard. Marcus, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you. I'm good. Thanks. All right. Um, we are going to keep it all positive and all optimistic on this show today. And even though 2021 feels a lot like 2020 so far, I am still very much looking forward to what is to come this year in the soccer world. There is so much going on. We're going to talk about a lot of it today, but we're not even covering all of it. We're also going to talk to Tejon Buchanan of the New England Revolution uh, in the second half of our show. Marcus did a fantastic interview with him. But Marcus, I mean, before we really dive into our topics, we're looking forward to 2021. Like, just in general, this soccer calendar, and obviously this has all been kind of jammed together because of the pandemic, but like, can you remember a single year that really kind of had all of these events going on in one year? No, this 2021 will be a year like no other because they're cramming, for all intents and purposes, two years into one. So mm -hmm. uh, we will not lack anything to talk about. And uh, that made me very, very excited. I'll kind of jump into what I am most looking forward to, and that is the 2020 Euros, uh, which is obviously taking place in 2021, pushed back from last year. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited for the Euros. Number one, it's because Euros are always just the best. The smaller European nations that maybe aren't exactly World Cup staples, but their fan bases are so passionate and they're so excited to be competing with the powers in Europe. And basically every single one of these countries at some point in history had some sort of legitimate conflict with each other. And it's just the rivalries are so intense. There's typically, you know, one or two host countries, but this version of the tournament in celebration of the Euro tournament is spread out across the continent. Wembley Stadium in London will host the semifinals and the final, but, you know, Rome is a host city. I believe Paris, Berlin, Madrid are all host cities, uh, as well as a handful of others. And it's kind of a bit of an advantage. Like, for example, the Italian national team will play all of their group stage games in Rome. And I believe England will play all their group stage games at Wembley. But so it's a bit of an advantage for those host cities. But just a great celebration of soccer in Europe. Um, hopefully, and I, you know, knock on wood, fans will be able to attend these games in, in full force. But I mean, it's just when you kind of like look at the grand scheme of the tournament and just how it's been set up, I'm really happy that they, you know, put it off a year and they're still going to carry it out with the original plan of going across the continent. And as of right now, that is still the plan. I, I saw some rumblings that, you know, they might actually consolidate and not do this spread out across the continent plan and might 
save that for the Euros in 2024, I guess. But as of right now, that's still the plan. Marcus, I, you know, I don't know how much we want to go in on these, but it'll know. be tough to uh, it's tough to call right now on January yeah. 7th exactly where the Euros will take place. We do know that there will be a Euro at the end of uh, the European soccer season. So that's exciting. You know, the details, we can leave that up to UEFA's power brokers. And I'm sure how uh, the coronavirus pandemic unfolds over the next Mm-hmm. five plus months will uh certainly determine what it looks like but we do know there will be a euro portugal looking to defend their crown i don't i can only hope <laughs> that the play on the field will be more exciting than what we saw in 2016 i covered that tournament and long story short it wasn't that good <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And that's actually why, you know, you and I sat down earlier and talked about what we were most excited about. That's actually why I didn't choose the Euros ah. because of what happened in 2016. It was just very, and you're seeing that, uh, you know, in major international tournaments dating back, uh, boy, for at least eight, yeah, six to eight years now, that when... Uh, we get to the knockout phase games become really nervy, really tactical. And uh, we don't get mm-hmm. a lot of bang out of them. Now I well, say that because yeah. of my choice, which is Copa America, June 11th through July 11th, also um, postponed. This was supposed to go on uh, 2020. Con- Conmeball ball decided to uh, put their tournament, their showcase tournament opposite the euros in uh, you know turning it into a, it's been every four years but they move it to even number years uh, two years out from the World Cup it'll be one this year but going forward I think it's going to be two I love Copa America mm-hmm. um, not necessarily because it is the best soccer you'll see but uh, two two reasons one we get to watch top-level international games in prime time, which here on uh, the eastern part of the United States, we don't always get to do that. A lot of our days, a lot of uh, the big soccer games take place during the day, which uh, for some of us that work for a living makes it difficult to really enjoy them. Um, but Copa America, when that's going on, games are kicking off at, you know, 6 30 7 7 30 8 9 10 o'clock and it's just great because we can uh watch them with uh our feet up so yeah uh and also they're just great players they're they're gonna be at least a couple really good teams in the tournament and there's always some surprise so uh copa america june 11th through july 11th brazil is the defending champion this tournament will take place in argentina and colombia which uh, for those of you who have not looked at a map of South America in a long time, uh, there's going to be a lot of travel going on. Uh I haven't looked at the exact format of how they're, how and where they're going to stage the games, but I'm assuming some teams will play in uh, Argentina and others will play in Colombia, but it'll, it'll have two uh, it'll, it'll have a very distinct feel to it uh, this time around. It's the first time, They've uh, hosted Copa America in two countries, I believe. 
So uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it will, um, you know, how these things will play out. The Euros and Copa America, sorry, will both kick off on June 11th and end on July 11th. You're just going to have all day soccer all the time. Um, so it's just such a juicy time of the year to be diving into these tournaments and getting excited for them. Yeah, it's uh, going to be great. Euros Marcus, during the day, Copa at night. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. But Marcus, I have a, a particular fondness for Copa America because I'm not even sure if you remember that in the Copa America Centenario in 2016, predating the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we both worked the Brazil versus Peru group stage match at Gillette Stadium, where Brazil lost to Peru, won nothing, and was eliminated from the tournament. Um, And that, I I always associate that as our first soccer experience together. Um, And, you know, I I think was a precursor that led to the the fantastic podcast we now... Hold on, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I didn't know that, that was our, <laughs> I didn't know that was our first soccer experience, but uh, this is an audio podcast, but I just dipped my finger in water and ran it down my eye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, we, we, uh, I guess we're really excited for international soccer because the next one is on my list is uh, the Olympics and the two soccer tournaments taking place in the Olympics. I'm going to start with talking about the men. Um, and it's kind of two phases because CONCACAF has not completed its men's qualifying yet. So CONCACAF gets two spots in the Olympics in 2020 and their qualifying tournament will take place in Mexico from March 15th to 28th. Uh, those are the dates I found. I'm pretty sure they're accurate, but it'll definitely be in March. Um, And another thing to note here is that the men's Olympics, I think, as most people know, are U23 squads. But because of the pandemic, it's actually become a U24 squad. And they're keeping sort of the original cutoff date from, you know, the original schedule of the Olympics. So uh, it's a U24 squad and you still get the three overage players um, if you choose to do so which I think we should keep track of because I have a hunch that Matt Turner, New England Revolution goalie, will be one of those overage exceptions to join the roster. And that's my big prediction there. Mm. But yeah, so as far as the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying, USA is in a group with Mexico, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic. And the way it works is the top two teams from each group then advance to the semifinals. And then all you have to do is win that semifinal. And if you reach the final, you've qualified for Tokyo, regardless of the outcome of the final. Um, so even though we're in the same group as Mexico, it kind of lines up that it could be a relatively manageable road to qualify for the Olympics. And Although it's not exactly a gigantic deal to qualify for the Olympics for, you know, the, the great, the Brazils and the Spains and the Germanys, uh, since the United States hasn't qualified for the Olympics in so long in men's soccer, I think it is viewed as a bit of a bigger deal pretty much until we qualify again. And I think we have a great opportunity this year. 
And so that brings me to sort of phase two, which is the actual Olympics. They will run from the men's tournament will be July 22nd to August 7th. The women will play July 21st to August 6th and really some packed fields. I'll just keep going with the men since I was already talking about them. Qualified teams for the men's tournament, Japan, the host, but then Argentina, Brazil, France, Germany, Spain, Romania, somehow qualified. Then you have Egypt, Ivory Coast, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Saudi Arabia, and South Korea. So most of those nations we are very familiar with on the national stage. And it's just a very good field of teams to be competing on the men's side. And I'll also say, aside from my Matt Turner prediction, there's really no sense in predicting what's going to happen in these tournaments. They're mainly a showcase of young talent and also kind of like that fringe, you know, full national team roster competition that uh, is, you know, a chance for these players to make a name for themselves. But then on the women's side, it's as far as the actual Olympics, that's kind of more interesting because these are the full national team rosters and pretty much the second biggest competition in women's international soccer besides, you know, after the women's world cup, the U S qualified already in February, but another, like a very good field, they play 16 teams. So the entire field isn't set yet, but you have Japan as the host who has been traditionally pretty good. Sweden, uh, Canada, the Netherlands, Great Britain, all of those teams have given the U.S. women trouble recently, um, even though the U.S. women, I believe, will be the favorites to entering the tournament. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just this continuation. We're going to go from the Euros and Copa America right into the Olympics, and it's like nonstop soccer summer. I don't know, even, I don't know how to contain my emotions, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, your excitement is uh, palpable. The <laughs> what one of the things that I really uh, am looking forward to about the uh, the Olympics. Uh, well, two things to mention. One on the men's soccer side, seasonednesson.com readers and listeners might remember that the United States failed to qualify for the. I want to say the 2012 Olympics, mm-hmm. and that was a big surprise. It was a huge surprise because uh, we had young talents like Freddie Adu <laughs> and others who uh, a lot was expected of a group, and then they just they went belly up and did not qualify. Uh, I wrote about that when it happened at the time, and I said that it was a uh, it could be or that it would probably be a precursor of tough times ahead. Well, USA qualified for World Cup 2014. Uh, They failed to qualify for the Olympics again in 2016. We all know what happened in 2018. So uh, Mm -hmm. I called it then. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm very excited to follow this uh, US under 23 team because there's a lot of good young players. There's a new generation and we're going to find out how good they are. Um, you know, European teams are showing increased interest in uh, American talent or US-based talent. Uh, the press releases that come out of uh, 
Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer tell us to be excited, but you know how excited should we be? We can only tell that on the field. So uh, when this CONCACAF qualification happens, it's supposed to be in March. They haven't set dates yet. Uh, I will be watching intently. Now on the women's side, U.S. is trying to become the first team to defend, uh, to go basically do the back-to-back, which is win the World Cup and then win the Olympics. Uh, they haven't managed to do it yet. We'll see how they can do it, uh, whether they can do it. But another interesting thing to watch will be that the size of the roster is much smaller. Uh, I think in the World Cup, it is right. uh, 22, 23-woman roster. In the Olympics, it's like 17 and 18. So there will be some, uh, some hard choices to make, some late cuts, and uh, I assume there will be some ensuing drama that comes from it. Because um, if there's one thing that I really enjoy about following and covering the U.S. women's national team is that there is uh, one, they play great soccer. Uh, They often play winning soccer, but there are compelling storylines that come out of each and every tournament that they play. Uh, So those those Olympics have me excited. Now, after the Olympics, which conclude in early August, we are going into the mother of all World Cup qualifying, uh, I guess I can only call it a sprint. Uh, yeah. CONCACAF ditched the hexagonal, uh, Mark, hexagonal is how many teams? Six. Six, very good. They ditched the hexagonal. <laughs> I only know that because of CONCACAF. <laughs> good. They, uh, they ditched that. They're going with the octagonal this go round, uh, there will be eight teams in a final group. That's where uh, Team USA will enter. So the US men have a busy summer with CONCACAF Nations League and followed by the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Uh, Nations League semifinals, the final four, uh, will take place in June. The Gold Cup will be in July. Well, at the end of August, they'll gather for the biggest games that they play outside of the World Cups themselves, which are World Cup qualifying. September and October 2021, those windows have been expanded for three games per window. Uh, the November window, USA will host Mexico. So, uh, and then it'll run through uh, March 2022 uh, World Cup mm-hmm. qualifying. But this really, I mean, if the team is good between September and March, they'll be in. Uh, if they have problems, whether it's on field, off field, uh, they could have another. I don't even want to. Don't don't say it, Marcus. <laughs> okay, I won't. But uh, yeah, you know the storyline itself is there. Um, and yes, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to watch. I I can't wait. And so you know everything we've talked about so far really starts in June, but the next six months will be a slow buildup. Uh, and it's really already started, uh, as we'll get into on the next segment, but a slow buildup to these massive events in the summer uh, internationally. And, you know, it's going to start really in March. Um, or sorry, the games themselves will start in March, uh, you know, where we start to see who's in, who's out, uh, which, you know, not only in terms of qualification, but which players are on the radar, off the radar for their respective national teams. Uh, and here we are, it's We're a week out from mid-January, so this is right around the corner. Uh, 2021 will be a big, big year. Yes. And we're going to kind of get into a little bit more CONCACAF, but 
just kind of honorable mention things that we didn't even bring up that you, you qu quickly mentioned the gold cup is going to be happening. Uh, European world cup qualifying begins in March also, and will also be taking place in the fall. Um, and not to mention the club soccer schedules are jam packed to fit in all this stuff too. Um, so it's just, I mean, every day I find myself looking at the sort of soccer schedule and there is at least a game, at least one game. It doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, certainly the weekends, there's always a game to watch. Yeah. Um, so it's just nonstop. But Marcus, you know, we talk a lot about USA, but Canada is rapidly improving as a soccer nation and I don't know. Do you, do you want to explain a little bit more about who you talked to today? Yes. Uh, Canada is uh, they're assembling their senior men's national team for January camp, which will run between January 9th and January 24th. Uh, Canada will be in the earlier rounds of uh, CONCACAF FIFA World Cup qualifying between March 22nd and March 30th, as well as the CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers. And I spoke to just uh, really a few minutes ago here on Thursday Revolution defender Tejan Buchanan, who uh, is among 10 newcomers to the camp. Buchanan was named Canada's Men's Youth International Player of the Year. He's 21 years old. He led all Canadians in uh, MLS appearances, played every game for the Revolution. Now, he really caught my eye in the uh, playoffs when he switched mm -hmm. to right back from, uh, he was more of a uh, winger attacking midfielder, but in typical Bruce Arena fashion, he takes this attacking player, switches him to right back, and he had some uh, great performances marauding up and down the right wing, uh, two-way player that I love to watch. And I spoke to him just uh, before the dawn of his third year as a professional. Joining us now is Revolution defender Tejan Buchanan. Tejan, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, and thank you for having me. All right, I want you to talk about, uh, you were just named Canada's uh, Young Player of the Year and uh, called up to the uh, to Canada's national team's January camp. Uh, and this is your first call up uh, to the senior national team. And I want you to talk about first your the prospect of representing Canada, especially at a major international tournament like the Tokyo mm -hmm. Olympics or possibly the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, ever since you start playing soccer, as a kid, I always dreamed of playing for my national team and playing for, for Canada. So uh, when I was named the Young Player of the Year, it was an honor to just to see that, you know, all my hard work is starting to pay off. And to finally get called into my first camp, uh, it's a dream come true. And I'm just ready to get going and, and get started and struggling what I could do. So I wanted to uh, go back to some of your early years as a player. You spent part of your high school years in Colorado. How did that uh, that move from your native Ontario shape your soccer journey? Yeah, I think I just had to really grow up faster, moving away from home and not being with my family. Uh, I really had to become a man early. And, uh, you know, I was focusing a lot on my soccer and trying to become a better player and uh, trying to pursue getting a Division One scholarship. So I think, uh, you know, uh, wanted to go pro and you have, you have to take sacrifices. And and that was, my sacrifice was going to another country and uh, trying to adapt to that. And I think, you know, that shaped me a lot in, to the player and person I am today. And I'm extremely grateful I was able to experience that, uh, that opportunity. Now, you landed that scholarship at uh, Syracuse University. What made you decide to turn pro after your second season at Syracuse? 
Yeah, uh, ever since uh, you know, I tried to take the, the route of going Division One soccer, my, my goal was always to go go pro as quick as possible. And uh, I always knew that I wanted to leave school early. So when that opportunity came upon me uh, to leave and sign a Generation Adidas contract, uh, there was no really, there wasn't really a hesitant. And, uh, you know, I had the, I have like the coaches supporting me throughout it all and uh, my teammates and, and my family, of course. And uh, that just made the transition a lot easier. And, uh, you know, I'm extremely grateful that everything did work out the way it did. Now, as a rookie in uh, 2019, you earned uh, a few, you earned some spots on Revolution Game Day squads and had some mm -hmm. starts toward the end of Brad Friedel's tenure. How did he impact your game in your earliest days as a pro? Yeah, I think when you come into the pros as a rookie, there's going to be a bunch of ups and downs and, you know, not everything's going to go the way you, you thought it would. And, 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 that's, and that's what happened with me. You know, we had a new coaching staff come in and I had to, to learn differently and adapt to a different coaching staff and, and obviously adapt to another country and, and another team. So, but Brad Friedel, I think he just gave me the opportunity early to, to come onto the field and that helped me grow as a player. And then under Bruce, you know, he had a he had a plan for me and that helped a lot. You know, uh, I really have to pay attention to details and become better as a player with my passing. You know, first touch stuff like that. And I think, you know, Bruce has done an excellent job not only with the Revolution but us young players uh, to becoming more comfortable when we do get our chances on the field. And uh, I think that's that helped me a lot come into 2020 and get on the field a lot more. Now you caught my eye and you caught attention uh, really around the league after switching positions uh, to right back in the playoffs. Um, I wanted to talk, how comfortable are you there playing at right back? Uh, do you envision yourself staying there in 2020 and beyond? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the transition to right back, it, it wasn't too much different than playing wing. I just have a lot more defensive responsibilities. And uh, under Bruce Arena in 2019, uh, I did train in right back a lot. So I, I became a lot familiar with the position and uh, I think it helped me a lot. I was able to really express myself and show my, my attacking qualities as, along with my defensive qualities. And, and I think uh, that that's helped me a lot. And yeah, if, if I'm going to be playing right back, you know, for the rest of my career or coming into uh, next season, then I, I'm all for it. And I'm going to give it my all and, and try and help the team as much as possible. How much are you, how aware are you of Bruce Arena's history of taking attacking players, uh, young players often who are forwards, moving them to right back with uh, great success. He's done this uh, really throughout his time in, in Major League Soccer and on the U.S. national team. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Bruce has been around the game for a very long time, an excellent coach and an excellent person. So if, I, if he sees the qualities of me uh, moving back and playing right back, which, which I did in the, la in the last bit of the season and playing in the playoffs, then you know, like I said, I'm all for it and I'm going to give it my all and uh, uh, I'm going to try and become the best right back I possibly can be. But, you know, uh, still being flexible and being able to play a lot more position is going to help me in the long run, I believe. Now, at the end of uh, the season, you told the Revolution website that in uh, 2021, you wanted to, uh, quote, keep doing little things right and be more efficient with your end product. What are, mm -hmm. what are you doing to, uh, to reach those immediate goals? Yeah, uh, you know, just focusing on details and focusing on every, every pass I make and, and, and my first touch and stuff like that. But also, uh, you know, being efficient when I get into the final third. If, if I'm going to be coming from a, a, a deeper position, then I got to be more efficient when I'm getting off crosses. And then when I get my opportunities to score goals, putting them in the back of the net. So uh, just doing what I've always been doing, you know, working hard and uh, – 
and just focusing on those little things. And I think that's going to help me uh, make that next step uh, to me wanting to be more efficient when I, I get into the end product, but then also, you know, focusing on everything else. Um, I want to conclude with uh, going back to your uh, potential appearances with Canada. Uh, you'll have one teammate who is, uh, who's grown into a world star. Uh, and I'm talking about Alfonso Davies. Uh, he's at Bayern Munich. Um, what's he like? Uh, do you ha have you met him? Do you have a relationship with him? Uh, talk talk about him and what he's achieved to date. Uh, yeah. So first off, I, I have not met him yet. Um, hopefully, in the in the future, I do get that opportunity to meet him. But yeah, no, just to see what he's been doing on the field is expiring. Uh, you know, seeing a, a player from Canada, you know, arguably one of the best left backs in the world right now. Uh, seeing him doing great things for a huge club in the world uh, is, is excellent to see. And, and yeah, you know, if I could just uh, see the th uh, follow the things that he's doing and, and, you know, just keep working hard, then, you know, he, he's showing us that the sky's the limit and, you know, anything is possible. Well, Tejan, uh, thank you very much for joining us this week on the Nesson Soccer Podcast and good luck in 2021 and beyond. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Tejan Buchanan of the New England Revolution. Marcus, I mean, that was a good conversation with him, but looking forward to 2021, what's most exciting about him? Well, one, uh, it's not every day that the Revolution, Revolution don't always have internationals uh, at their club. Um, they've been, uh, in the past, they've had some here and there, but um, Buchanan is somebody who, uh, he is on the cusp of breaking into a Canada team that could be very, very good. I don't know much about their uh, Olympic prospects, but Canada has played United States very competitively uh, in the last couple of years. And I think I see them as a rising power in CONCACAF. Now, mm -hmm. if they, you know, if everything goes well, um, or, you know, according to their best laid plans, Canada could qualify for both the Olympics and uh, the FIFA World Cup in 2022. So uh, speaking to Buchanan, it, it's it, interesting to see, um, you know, at this stage, and I'm gonna be following his journey very closely, uh, what impact he can make with Canada, what impact he makes with the revolution. You know, he talked about being uh, the team's right back of the present and the future. Um, and, you know, as it, it's a very important position in modern soccer because you have to cover so much ground and provide both defensive solidity and attacking uh, prowess. So, yeah, uh, he's 21 years old, exciting young player on uh, an exciting nation. And, uh, yeah, let's see what happens to him. Can't wait to keep track of him. But let's get into our games of the weekend, Marcus. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I'm looking at Germany with RB Leipzig versus Dortmund. That's Saturday at 1230. Uh, so the Leipzig is second in Bundesliga at 31 points. Dortmund fourth at 25 points. Uh, and naturally being the homer that I am, uh, Tyler Adams versus Gio Reyna is what really is going to have me zoned in on this matchup. Um, you know, they, they both, I, it's not that they've taken a step back or anything like that. It's just, they haven't really had, fireworks moments I think in about a month or so and I'm getting restless because my expectation for men's national team 
prospects is just through the roof right now. So um, I'm looking for something exciting out of Tyler Adams or Gio Reyna in this match. Um, somehow I didn't realize that this game was going on, but uh, Dortmund and um, Dortmund and RB Leipzig, you know, two of the most exciting teams in the Bundesliga, really in all of Europe. Uh, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, how Adams and Reina play. They've been regulars in and around the lineup. I think Reina starts. Um, he's not an automatic starter, but he's just about there. Adams starts more than he comes off the bench uh, when he's healthy. He's always in the squad. So yeah, um, these are two teams that are uh, chasing Bayern Munich. And uh, yeah, I'm going to see what what happens with them. I don't know if I'm going to watch that particular game. I'll tell you the game that I will watch, though, which is on Friday, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Bayern Munich. Mönchengladbach, uh, they're, seventh, they're in seventh place in the Bundesliga right now, and they're, they're fading. There's no other way to put it. Uh, Bayern Munich, they're first, um, looking to show, you know, I think they're going for their ninth or tenth consecutive Bundesliga title. But these are two teams that are in the Champions League knockout rounds. Mönchengladbach made it for the first time since, I believe, the 70s or the 80s. Um, Bayern Munich, of course, won the Champions League last year. So I'll be looking to see what the difference is between uh, Champions League favorites and uh, Champions League and Bundesliga uh, wannabes, for lack of a better word. And... Uh, another, there's just the, the latest American to, to go to Europe is involves Borussia Mönchengladbach as Joseph Scali, Scali signed, yes, signed with Mönchengladbach. He's a, he's a new year's Eve baby, December 31st, 2002. He's 18 years old. So he turned 18. He signed his European contract he's from New York, played for New York city FC in MLS only six appearances, but now he's in the Bundesliga, and he just joins the ranks of Americans abroad. Um, but just another reason to be excited about 2021, Marcus. Yeah, um, I am willing to bet the farm that Scally's not going to start or play <laughs> that game. But uh, yeah, Mönchengladbach is a team that, you know, they are uh, among the best developers of uh, talent in Europe and you know they're starting they've been they've been on the way up for the last uh three four five years or so and uh they're doing good things at that club so it'll be interesting to see what uh how Scally develops there uh if he's there but also you know it's really that game against Bayern always a measuring stick um I started this year always picking Arsenal for my games of the weekend don't want to get into <laughs> why I don't do that so much anymore, but I seem to be uh, tuning into the Bundesliga a lot more than in years past um, because there's just a lot of exciting things going on, exciting players, interesting uh, styles, some of the best coaches. Um, and it's almost like a glimpse, like a crystal ball into the future of what uh, I like that yeah. the game at the top five years from now, uh, you'll see some of these players, some of these teams as well some of these coaches, uh, you know, when they decide that it's time for them to get paid, hint, go to England. Uh, a <laughs> lot of them will be coming from Germany. Right. Uh, well, 
Marcus, I think that was a fantastic first episode of the new year and so much to be excited about. And I'm excited to continue on with this podcast in the new year as we're going to cover all this stuff. Um, for those of you that want to continue following the Nesson Soccer Podcast, please do so at nesson.com slash podcast, but also on iTunes and Spotify. Just search Nesson Soccer Podcast and we pop right up. Um, and thank you all for joining us today and we'll see you soon. I read out why I tell you soon.